two or three weeks ago, I think it was, we began a new series that probably, my Lord folks, it, it could not be more important. And in fact, what we're going to look at today, in my opinion, you don't have to agree with me, but in my opinion, I would put it probably in terms of importance, I would put it in the top four, top three of my life, okay? In terms of importance, in terms of seriousness, in terms of the things that you should know, the things that you should be aware of, I would put today's understanding that I hope with all my heart that you get way up there as, as highly important. Now, there's an, an enormous amount happening in the world, but we get so busy, we get distracted, just like Jesus warned, that we lose focus, and before you know it, the end has come. And you were busy. Jesus said they'll be getting married, given a marriage, blah, blah, blah. And we missed what was happening. Over this last 10 days, what's been happening in New York? The United Nations, all the nations of the world have sent their representatives, their presidents, their prime ministers, their ambassadors, and they meet together. Now, the prime minister of Egypt, the new prime minister, Morsi, he made a statement that really summed up the opinion of the UN this week. Everybody listening? He said this, I think it was Tuesday. He said, the fact remains the same. There is one central problem with this world. Israel. It remains the same. The world has one major problem. Israel. They've been saying that for thousands of years, never mind decades since Israel was formed. But things are getting more and more serious all the time. Now folks, listen. You guys have had a lot of good tuition on end times. We can print the books and we can give them to you. But if you're too lazy to read them or to take them in, do you know what the scripture says? The sluggard, he puts his hand in the dish and he's too lazy even to bring it to his mouth. So you need to really get with it, folks. We have had excellent tuition in terms of this. And I say that because we stand here today without excuse on this subject, I tell you. Without excuse. The only difficulty I've got as a, as a minister is that things are coming to a conclusion. It's over. So very limited in the, in the, in the amount of time that we actually have left to deal with things. And I'm responsible for, for, for you and, and beyond this place for many others as well. And I want to be right above all things with God and, 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 and say when I see Jesus, I'll say, Jesus, I knew what was happening. And I didn't stay quiet. I told them, Lord. I told them. I warned them. I showed them what was happening. I need to be able to do that for myself. In 1967, Syria, the Lebanon, and Egypt began to nip at the borders of Israel. And they began to fire rockets and, and take a, a step. And Israel started to rattle. And they said this. They said to the world, to the UN. If you do not protect our borders, we will. What did the UN do? Nothing! Do what they always do. Nothing except talk. So Israel said, listen UN, we are warning you. If you do not protect our borders... 
We will. What did the UN do? Nothing. What did Israel do? Or should I say, what did God do? It was in terms of miracles that have happened on the earth. The 1967 six-day war is the only modern one that I can actually think of. I mean, Joshua told the sun to stand still and you know the Red Sea parted. But in terms of modern, you know, in the modern era, the actual six-day war where 80,000 Jewish troops put three countries to flight and everybody pulled back. The fear of God came on that uh, all around those regions. And a miracle took place. And Israel stood by their word. They said to the UN, if you do not protect our borders, believe us, we will. Now, over the last two or three months, maybe six months and beyond, President, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, has been saying what? He's been saying to the world, Iran is determined to bring about a nuclear weapon. And that nuclear weapon, they have been unambiguous with what they intend to do. They have a public spiel and they have a private spiel. But Ahmadinejad's testimony is that the dream of his life is to be able to annihilate the Jews. That, that that country should be wiped off the face of the earth. Okay? This is his dream. This is his mission in life. So, Netanyahu again this week in the UN, he made a very, very, you know, heart-rending speech to the, to, to the nations. I mean, you really need to listen to it. It's 38 minutes long. It's on YouTube. There's various versions, but get the 38-minute one because it's just excellent lesson in history. Uh, and it's all, it also, you realize what's just about to happen. Like now. Like next year. So Yetanyahu, here he is again. If you don't protect Israel, I will. If you don't stop them building this bomb, and they reckon they're now about nine months, there's a bit of a confluence of opinion just come to now. Some were saying six months, some were saying nine months. But I think last week, the America and Israel reached an agreement that it was just after spring that next year that the bomb would be 90% enrichment would be completed. And they would be very, too close to the point of being able to fire. So Yetanyahu is saying, we're not going to reach this point. Hello, world. It's not going to happen. Okay. So here you have Iran standing with a gun. Here you have Israel standing with a gun. And my question to you is, who is going to fire first? Israel. Believe me. Don't, don't doubt it for a second. I, I, believe me. Israel will drop a nuclear bomb on Iran. And they will, what they're saying at the moment is they will do it towards the summer of next year. And then the things that are in your green book, living as an end times believer, then you can start in chapter 2. And then that part kicks in. So this, because of the revelations that are happening today, it all kind of fits so well together, so neatly together. Prophecy after prophecy. It's just man alive. It's, it's incredible, absolutely incredible how much seven-eighths, if you want to get precise, seven-eighths of the Bible are tied up in this right now, in this moment. Unbelievable times, folks. Now, our role in that we'll look at next week more so than this week. We're not there yet, you know. We need to get a grip on, 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 on who we are first. You will not commit 
to protecting Israel or praying for Israel until you get the foundations right and they need to be biblical foundations. Okay? It's thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly biblical. If you can't get it in the Bible, stay away from it. Okay? Now, don't be offended, but if I went around this room or any other church and asked you... Could I have my second slide, please, Stephen? Sorry, third? (laughs) Take a look at this. If you ask Christians, who or what is Israel? Vast majority... In talking in global terms, 80% don't know the answer to that question. They can't answer it correctly. These are statistical facts, okay? When you ask born-again Christians, who or what is Israel, the number one answer is the Jews. Wrong answer. It's completely wrong. Okay? Number two, they say it's a small country in the Middle East. Well, well done. I mean, a two-year-old kid could have told me that. Right? Descendants of Jacob. Okay, but Jesus has a few words to say about that, actually, so that's not quite accurate. He didn't like them calling themselves the descendants of Abraham, so it's not a good answer. And the last, the the fourth most frequent reply is that Israel is the church. Okay? These answers are either very incomplete or totally wrong. And this underlies, this is why we need to start in the right place, because you're not going to build anything without good biblical foundations we need to get an understanding of who israel is and how we fit into this okay now you're going to need to engage your brain as well as your spirit this morning so so don't shut yourself off some of you are qualified to the back teeth and you don't know that much in your bible okay you are so don't start saying you can't understand these things because you can you've just believed the wrong thing I get very annoyed when people say I can't understand. And it's like a doctor of scholastic philosophy I'm talking to. He said, I didn't understand your message. Well, wake up then! Wake up then! The same energy that you put into your qualifications, put it into the Bible! You are able. Who told you you weren't able? Don't believe it. Yes, these things are spiritually perceived, no question. But there's an academic element to it. So don't switch off either way. You need, you need your, you've got a brain as well as a spirit. You're, you're going to need both this morning. Let me begin by saying this. When, when God began to interact with man, he made a covenant, if you remember. In fact, I'll, I'll read it. Je- uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 1. Deuteronomy Chapter 29, and and actually verse 14. Verse 14. Deuteronomy 29, verse 14. God is making his covenant. He's beginning to interact, if you like, with the human race. And he says this, I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here today in the presence of the Lord, our God, but also with those who are, what does it say? With those who are not here. With those who are not here. And I'll show you some of the scriptures. Everybody look at me. When God began, he chose Israel. He pulled Israel out to interact with. But his goal was the human race. Remember Abraham last week? Right? All nations will be blessed through you. Remember Isaiah 49? It would be too small a thing just to reach Israel. So, when God was speaking to Moses, I hope you're listening, God was saying, Moses, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to Isabel. 
I'm, I'm talking to Jim. I'm, just, I'm not just giving this law down to the Jews as such wrong answer. I'm speaking to the spiritual Israel, if you like. All those who will come to know me down through the centuries. It's important. Because I think we focus, it can be an error to focus too tightly, to focus in too hard on Israel. Because this, you need to pull back wide lens a minute. The story begins with Adam and Eve. Not Israel. The story began with, with God with a mission to save people in all nations, not just Israel. Okay? Now he came through that door as we know. Jesus came as a Jew. Salvation is off the Jews, the Bible says. But the target is the whole world. And that includes you. And we get grafted into what we'll call the spiritual Israel. Okay? The one that Christ comes back for. Not the land, not the nation. It's a different thing. It's a spiritual Israel, shall we say. So where do we start? Next slide, please, Stefan. Thank you. Where do we start? Don't be bamboozled by this, but it, it's a, I, I think this is the best place in the whole of your Bible to start. Here's a question for you. Mount Sinai, there were 12 tribes at the bottom of Mount Sinai, right? Amen. Right? How many were Jewish? You sure? <laughs> Why? Because the name Jew, the, the tribe of Judah lived in Judea. And the name Jew comes from that. This has caused an enormous amount of confusion. Okay? The whole, Israel, the whole nation was called Israel. And in Israel there was one tribe called the, the Jews. The Judeans or the tribe of Judah. Okay? That becomes very important later on. So here they are, there's 12 tribes at the bottom. Now you know the story. They went into the land, they were out of the land, they were in the land, they were out of the land. They, countless wars, but they ended up with the division of the land. And it was a country that was divided in two. Israel's a long country like that. And it has a north and a south. Okay? Now, very like Britain. Uh, is this the United Kingdom? Is this the United Kingdom? So he said, no, this is the United Kingdom. Let them, this is the United Kingdom. Okay. Is this Scotland? Yes. But you just said it was the United Kingdom. Yes, it's both. It's both. How can it be both? Exactly. See Israel. Okay. Israel's divided in two. The whole nation is Israel. But it's divided into two parts. Judah, kingdom of Judah, and the kingdom of Israel. Okay. And that's where the confusion comes in. Because, as you'll see in a moment, Israel got lost. They went out to the nations. But the Jews remained. Over time, over history, because the Jews were the only one who came back, the name got planted on them. And Israel and the Jews became synonymous. But they're not. They're not in your Bible. They're not synonymous in the Bible. But they are with the way people speak to you or ask you questions or answer questions. What happened was the land was divided up. And in the south, there was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Okay? They got carried off into captivity. This is a big chunk of your Bible. Okay? And you'll never understand it. You can read it all you want. But until you see this context, it won't make any sense. They got carried off into Babylon. Now, the great thing about Judah was Judah came back. Judah came back. Came back into the land and honored God. The north had the ten tribes, what became known as the lost ten tribes of Israel. There, Israel here, the, the northern kingdom, is also known as Joseph in your Bible, or Ephraim. Okay? Now, they also got carried off into Syria. Okay? Did they come back? No. No. 
No. Only Judah went back. And so the nation of Israel became known as the nation of the Jews. And over history, those things, as I say, became synonymous. Okay? So they came back... this particular, these events are right Old Testament, New Testament. They're plastered through everything. Okay? Without Israel being scattered, without this northern kingdom coming out into the nations, we don't get saved, folks. It is too small a thing, the Father says to the Son. It is too small a thing that I send you just to this land. I will scatter you abroad. And even in their sin, God was with them. And the message of a Messiah, the message of Israel, the message of the scriptures went all around the world. And you know, one day it reached you. It reached you. Not so much because of Judah, actually, but because of the lost 10 tribes that got scattered out into the nations. And when Jesus came, he he went to, to great lengths to try and deal with this. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 11 a moment. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 29. 1 Kings eleven twenty-nine. 29. This is a prophecy about what we just spoke of there, the, 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 the 10 tribes getting thrown out into the nations. 1 Kings eleven twenty-nine. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem and Ahijah the prophet of Shiloh met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country and Ahijah took hold of his new cloak he was wearing and he tore it into 12 pieces. This is a prophecy of what would happen. Then he said to to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. And on and on it goes. There was a prophecy, basically, that these ten, God would become so angry with the, with the adulterous, uh, adulterous nature, as he put it, bowing down to other gods of the northern kingdom, that he said, if you keep on, if you keep on going, I'm going to divorce you. If you keep on going, Israel, meaning the northern kingdom, I'm going to throw you out. And that prophecy said, God is so angry, he's going to tear the ten tribes And he's going to throw them out into the nations. Wow. See, Jesus told a story one day. He said, once upon a time, there was a father, God the Father, who had two sons. And the younger one, Joseph, said to his father, give me everything. Give me all that I'm due, because I'm going to go off and have a wild time. And the elder brother, the elder brother was self-righteous. Oh, he's a good boy. He stayed at home. He stayed at home and remained faithful through all the generations. Faithful Judah. But in the end, the prodigal, Israel, came back home. And they are, you see. The the Jews are flooding back into Israel. The veil is being lifted with the returning Jews. And when the returning Jews who've mixed amongst us, they're going back to Israel, getting saved out here and on their return. Listen, when they go back, who do they meet? Orthodox Jews. So righteous. Just like the story of the prodigal son. Just like that. They come home saying they've found the Messiah only to find a strong religion back home where the veil still remains. 
And over and over, Jesus tried to explain to us in the New Testament, tried to explain to us the big picture. Genesis chapter 48, look at this. Verse 19. Genesis 48, verse 19. This is where Isaac is blessing the children and they get confused because he's going to, he should put his hands on Manasseh because he is the elder, but he doesn't. He chooses Joseph. And they get, they, they, they get very confused and they, they want to know what's happening. Genesis 48, 19. And they, they tell him to switch hands. And his father refused and he said, I know it, my son, I know it. He shall also become a people and he shall be great but truly, his younger brother, who's that? Uh, Joseph, Israel, Ephraim, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become who? A multitude of nations. A multitude of nations. Even all the way back in Genesis. I hope you're listening, folks. All the way back in Genesis. Can you imagine the counsel of God in history? God was saying, yes, I can. he could see what was going to happen. These nations will become unfaithful to me. And I will throw them out. But I'm God. And I can make all things work together for good. All things. And even though they go among the nations, a multitude of nations it says, they will go out and as they go, they will bring light to the Gentiles. Light to the Gentiles. The word Gentile means, all it means is uh, out of covenant. Someone who's out of covenant. And uh, whether you're Jew or Gentile, in, in that sense, it's irrelevant. A Jew who's out of covenant with God is lost. A Gentile who's out of covenant is lost. And in that sense, we're not Gentile Christians. That's like saying we're out of covenant covenanters, you know? It doesn't make sense. You're not a Gentile Christian. You're a Christian who's been grafted in to spiritual Israel. Thank God. Thank God. Part of the problem we have is this Old Testament concept, the New Testament concept. The word old doesn't help us. We look at old and we think, oh, that's over. That's history. We haven't got to the New Testament yet, apart from the two sons. All of these truths, all of these facts are actually in the Old Testament. And they all prophesy of now. They all tell me what's happening now. They're all in the Old Testament. Right? So when Jesus was talking to Moses, he was saying, I'm talking to... I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. So don't bypass this. Don't overlook it and say that's just the Jews as such. These things absolutely, 100%, concern us. Now, Scripture says that the angels in heaven quizzed themselves about what was happening with this and couldn't figure it out. Everybody listen. Look up. In, in fact, I'll read it. Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. You, I want you to see the, the certificate of divorce that God issued. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8. Jeremiah 3 verse 8. It's a sad line. I gave faithless Israel. What? Her certificate of divorce. And I sent her away. Because of all her adulteries. You know. I had a very good father. And when you lived in my father's house. You know whose rules you obeyed? <laughs> you better believe it. And I, I, you know, James, Jeanette's son grew up with me, grew up in our house, and he's grown up to be a very, very happy, happy child. But guess what? When he lived under my roof, guess whose rules he obeyed? Oh, you better believe it. 
but not harshly, never harshly, always with great blessing. And any good father, believe me, a good father will have one rule in his house, and it should be his. God's no different. God's no different. And God said to Israel, Israel, you keep going, and I will divorce you. (gasps) Don't mention that word in this house. You keep going, and you live like that, and I will divorce you. And he did. Not Judah, by the way. He didn't divorce Judah. He only divorced Israel. And he sent them out as he said, I'll tear you off and I will scatter you amongst the nations, but secretly, and I will use it for good. You will be a light to the Gentiles. And faithful Judah goes back, but actually they were very religious and self-righteous. Now it says the angels couldn't understand this because the law says that if a man divorces his wife, uh, he, he, he can't remarry her, if, if you like, whilst they're still alive. That's what the law says. If you divorce your wife and she's gone, you can't get remarried. That was not permissible within the law. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Look at this. Paul deals with this issue. Romans chapter 7 verse 1. The Romans asking the same question. If God has divorced Israel, how can he bring Israel back? How can these become one again? How can Judah and Israel ever be reunited? Romans chapter 7 verse 1. Paul answers this question. Don't you know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. The law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. I hope you understand what's happening. How did Jesus deal with this problem? I'll give you a clue. It's a very sad thing, you know. It's a terribly, 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 terribly sad thing. But Christ, you see, was in covenant with Israel and he did divorce Israel. But he's still under the law and fulfilled the total law. And Christ found himself, can you imagine the Godhead in eternity sitting in heaven? What are you going to do? bridegroom and Jesus says well I have to die I'm going to have to go down there I have to enter the human race I'm going to have to die and then the law will be they broke the law I have to divorce them because I'm a holy God I can't abandon them because they're my children I'm going to have to die I will have to enter the human race and actually you can see this in scripture all through scripture how Christ came down for us it's shocking folks Illumide sent me some pictures before he got married and they were the pictures of him presenting himself to the father of his bride did you get those? they were great in his particular tradition I don't know if other African nations also follow it in his tradition he was dressed extremely well And Illumide walked in. You could see him walking in before the father. And the father was sitting on a chair. And he prostrated himself down. Yeah, all the women like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prostrated himself down, face down on the ground, stretched out before the father of the bride. And he was doing that to to say what? To say, I love this girl. And I'm committed to this girl. And you, father, should give me her hand. That's what you should do. And of course, the father, just like when you have a wedding, 
it's the congregation or it's the minister who actually needs to understand and pursue those things. The father first and the church needs to ratify it. But you need to look at a, at a wedding. People come to me and say, we're in love, Marius, but it doesn't work like that. I, I, I'm thinking completely differently. I'm thinking 10, 15 years. Will you still be with this girl? That's what I want to know. And you can kind of feel that. And Illumide, like all of you, I mean, think back. Many of you are married. And probably many of you had to go to the father of the bride. And you had to present your case. You had to make your case and, and, and go in there and say, look, here I am. This is who I am. And I am worthy of the hand of your daughter. When I got married, believe me, you don't get to keep anything in my house. I'm a throwout freak. I don't keep much. But I kept the tie I wore on my wedding day still in my cupboard. I kept some of the flowers from that day. I wore a little hanky in my pocket, you know. Because you are presenting yourself and you are saying, I am worthy of this woman's hand. Do you know, I've got pictures here from our wedding day. I could cry now. <laughs> this, this, without a shadow of a doubt, was by far the happiest day of my entire life. No other day gets, gets a look in. And if you see these pictures, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm dressed very well. And so is everybody else. And so would anybody with, with half a brain who's going to meet the, the father and say, I, I, I want the hand of your daughter in marriage. You need to make a, a good presentation. And look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. This is telling us about what happened in the council, if you like, of the Godhead, the, the Godhead in history. God the Father is talking and the Son, if you like, is listening. Then I heard a voice of the, of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? What's the next line? And I said, who's that? That's the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ. Now, look up, folks. Nothing's a surprise to God. Nothing. And ev God knows that you mess up. Okay? And Israel messed up. And Judah messed up. There's not a human being on earth that didn't mess up. He knew you couldn't make it. He knew you were never going to make it. That's not his problem. His problem is taking your mess and turning it into something beautiful, something fantastic. He's very good at that. And that's what this story is all about. Before this all began, you can see God talking about what was going to happen. Discussing it in the Godhead before a brick was laid, before the earth was created. And in that discussion right there, Isaiah is seeing a glimpse of eternity past with father and son and none of you are created no human beings and the father is saying who can I send there's not one righteous among them and Jesus says here I am send me now you've still got a bit of convincing to do because the father's got to know if you like that the son will see that through Next slide, please. You see, on a wedding day, you look your very best. 
Next slide, please. But this is Jesus. And this is Jesus. He, what he began in the book of Isaiah, he said, Father, I will do, I am willing and worthy to take your hand. I am willing, you can give me Eunice, she is safe with me. And what he said and volunteers for, by the way, what the son volunteers for in Isaiah, he completes on the cross and says, see, Father, see, I am worthy. You can give them all to me. I'll bring them back together. Of course they'll make a mess, but you can trust me with them. And you know, What is human love, huh? What is human love? We are mortals. I tell you, we are mortals. I know you love your kids. I know you love your wife, husband, whatever. But what, who, who are we in comparison to this? This is God. This is commitment. This is awesome commitment. And I remind you today, people get confused. Why do we worship Jesus? Why is the focus on Jesus? The focus will be on Jesus forever. Why? Because of the body. He is forever in a body. The God of all eternity and infinity humbled himself, read Philippians, poured himself into your form so that he could get you back. How awesome is that? How great is that? And in fact, look at Ephesians. Let me just find that scripture there. I've forgotten which scripture it is. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. This is Paul talking to people just like you. Gentiles who are now saved and they're starting to bump into righteous Jews. Okay? So I repeat, this is Paul talking to people just like you. Gentiles who've been saved. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. Therefore remember... That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, yes, that's us, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, unsaved Jews, righteous Jews, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at a time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship where? In Israel. So Paul is telling me that I've now been grafted in to this thing we'll call spiritual Israel. Okay? You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups. Who's that? Jews and Christians made the two groups one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with all its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. That's what the cross really and truly is, as hard as that is for us to take. I want you to understand that this doesn't begin 2,000 years ago. 
You're not an afterthought. You're not plan B. Okay? And in one sense, old covenant, new covenant, it's not helpful to us. I don't think it's helpful. There's one God. There's one story. You know? I mean, third child, Johan. Did you ever have a child thinking they would be perfect? Did you ever have a child thinking it wasn't going to mess its nappy? God knows. God knows that we would mess up. He knew the future. He knew everything. That's not the problem. This is not God's problem. God's problem is, is making something beautiful out of it. But he's righteous. He's holy. And this is beyond my ken. It's also beyond yours. He will have justice, but he will also remain holy and righteous and true. Above all things, God is love. Above all things, above all things, he is love. Right? And if this doesn't prove it, I don't know what will. I, I, I'm not going the long way round. If there was another way to put this to you, I would put it. There is no other way. You need to understand your history. You need to understand that you who were Gentiles, because Israel was unfaithful, went out into the world, we have received the gospel through the Jews, through, through the dispersion of Israel, right? And in these last days, those scattered nations, Jews are going to return, and they are, by the tens of thousands, back to the homeland, Okay? Now, we need to be switched on about what's happening in the days in which we live because this thing is winding up very fast. Very, very fast. Right? Even this week, huge changes. So, could I go back to the graphic, please? The, the, the slide. Thank you. What happened, Israel? We know what happened, Israel. They were naughty. They couldn't live in the Father's house. So he scattered them amongst the nations, but I will save the Gentiles that way. And in the last days, the younger brother, Joseph, returns home saved. Wonderful. What happens to you? Well, you're here. You're part of those Gentiles. Now Paul says, grafted into the root. Grafted in there. Praise God. There's one outstanding question, isn't there? What happens to old Judah? What happens to Judah? He's slugged it out all these years. He's been going all this time. What happens to him? Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. It tells us what happens, Judah, in the last days. Estella, could you go first there? It tells us Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. It's talking about the last days here. Look at what he says. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look upon who? What does it say? They will look upon me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for, 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 for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Now God here is talking about Judah. He's talking about the last days when Jews have returned home and they're born again. When the nations understand who they are and start to bless Israel and stand with Israel and protect Israel. God help us. And he says in that day, the older brother, the self-righteous brother, because the Gentiles are in, because the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, I will remove the veil from Judah. I will take away the veil and they will look upon the one 
they have pierced. Hallelujah. Praise God. This will happen very soon. Very soon. You know, in the Second World War, terrible time. It's another antichrist in Hitler. They were taking the Jews in a particular area in trucks to the concentration camps. And they took them by family groups, big groups, and the trucks would pull up. And this one day, the trucks came, it was all organized, and the whole family tree, this particular family, were herded out, get on the trucks. And they were making their way down the street. And at the side was standing a Presbyterian pastor. And he was watching what was happening. And he waited his moment, and he reached into the crowd, and he grabbed a 13-year-old girl, threw in the doorway behind him, and just blocked the door so no one could see. And all the other people kept dush. They got on the trucks and they were all gassed. Her whole family were killed. She wrote a book about it. And she said this, the pastor took me home and they hid me. And he came into the room, she's an Orthodox Jew, you see, came into the room with a present. <laughs> what was it? A Bible. A New Testament. And she, he said, listen, Listen, my dear, the Messiah came. And the little girl said, no, no, we're waiting, waiting for the Messiah. No, no. Read. And the little kid said, okay, innocent, free, I'll read. And she started to read, it's the Messiah. It's the Messiah. And she was over the moon. He was in Jerusalem. He was working miracles. Look at him go. And then... The cross and she couldn't believe it she couldn't believe her eyes they killed him they killed him and she said this she's she's an orthodox jew and there's a thing called a shiva when someone dies like an only child like it says in zechariah it's a prophecy of what will happen they they they, they weep and they mourn for seven days and that a woman now that woman says this when i read that they killed him i stopped reading and I honored the Shiva and I covered myself and I wept for seven days mourning that's what it says in Zechariah and she said then I got up washed and went back and continued to read last slide please Stefan and to her great surprise glorious surprise she saw that he was resurrected that girl got saved born again because the veil was removed you see and that's a perfect picture of what Christ will do to righteous Judah who stuck with him through all these years. In these last days, as the Jews return from all the different nations, the nation, the scattered tribes, and they're born again, and you pray. This is what we're going to look at next week. How do I pray? We'll see, because God gives lots of advice. Folks, they estimate that seven-eighths Seven-eighths. Imagine if I took that much of your Bible away. Seven-eighths of your Bible, you can't understand it unless you understand what you've just heard this morning. Isn't that shocking? Like Ephesians, what we just read in Ephesians. He'll make the two one, etc., etc., etc. Or Romans, where Paul talks about the, the, the dead man. He has to die. You can't understand anything in Scripture. Well, seven-eighths of it. Unless you understand the history, the two tribes, that Judah remained, that the, the younger brother went and got lost, and in the end he comes, and you understand your part. And we need to understand our part so we can pray correctly.
Okay? Difficult, I know. It's difficult. But Lord, help us. I went Friday afternoon. I didn't know what to do. I don't know how to proceed with Israel. But we went up to the synagogue. And I just wanted to walk around outside and lay my hands on the building. It's up here on Garnet Hill. And it, well, it, there was some lights on and there was one car outside, but we just, the gate was open. So we went inside and just, you know, Lord, help us to help them. Show us what to do. Help us to help Israel in these last of the last days. And we went to leave. And this, the door opened, I heard the door, I looked back, and there was this so old, an old, old, old couple come out of the door, you know. I said, Jeanette, wait, wait. So I went back, and they didn't see me coming, you know. I just said, hello, Jesus. It's not right, folks. You should have seen their face. They thought I was going to hit them. We're Jews. I said, hello, and I could see the fear. What are you going to do? Nobody wants us. You're not one of us. Nobody talks to us. They hate us. The whole world hates us. What's the problem? What are you coming to us for? I kind of tried to disarm my, you know, self. Just, just, just saying hello. Is the meeting? Is there a meeting on? No. Saturday. You come back. I said, okay. I'll come back. Sad, Sad. Sad, 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 sad. We need to befriend the Jews. We need to befriend the Jews and let them know that they're not isolated up on Garnet Hill or Newton Mearns or any other country to stand by them. Okay? And in the weeks to come, we'll see how to do that and get some methodologies amongst ourselves here for doing that internationally and locally. Amen? Amen. Stand this morning, folks. Invite the worship team back. Just lift your hands before God. God, I thank you that you have been faithful to us. You have stuck by us through thick and thin, Lord. I thank you that you know the end from the beginning. And no matter how wayward we have been, you have not abandoned us. But your plan is better than ours. You make all things well in your time. All things well. God, we lift Israel at this time of, of great persecution. I lift Israel to you. I pray protection on their borders. Bless them. Lord, we put our foot on Iran. We silence them in Jesus' name. Lift your voices, folks. Go to work and pray for the nation of Israel. Pray for the return and the salvation of the Jews. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. Bless them, Lord.